When an emergency strikes, Preppy has you covered. Made in California, canvas and leather emergency kits packed with survival food, water, and first aid with optional emergency satellite communication. Go to Preppy.co. That's P-R-E-P-P-I dot C-O slash Filmweek. From the Moon Broadcast Center, it's Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. Coming up, our critics review, Don't Let Go, starring David Oyelowo and Storm Reed. Also, the comedy, Give Me Liberty, and Official Secrets. The mystery stars Kira Knightley and Matthew Good. We'll also get the frames John Horn in a report from the Telluride Film Festival about some of the most anticipated features there. Preppy wants everyone to be prepared for any situation. By bringing design to the forefront of their emergency kits, they are making earthquake prep less daunting and maybe even a little fun. Made in California, Preppy's attractive canvas and leather bags are designed to be displayed right in your living room or office. If an emergency strikes, your most essential supplies are at arm's length, not stashed somewhere deep in your closet. Though the Preppy line is quite handsome on the outside, the contents they include are incredibly comprehensive, helping you face real emergency situations with confidence. Go to Preppy.co, that's P-R-E-P-P-I dot C-O slash Filmweek for more information. Welcome to Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us. Got a three-day weekend, a lot of chance for you to go see movies. And we'll tell you about the new ones at your local theater. Our critics this week are Christy Lemire of RogerEbert.com and co-host of the Breakfast All Day podcast. Tim Cockshell of AltFilmGuideAndSynagogues.com. And Charles Solomon of Animation Scoop and Animation Magazine. We begin with Don't Let Go, a thriller starring David Oyelowo and Storm Reed. It tells the story of a detective who has to solve a crime across time when he gets a shocking phone call from his niece, Ashley, two weeks after her murder. I, I don't understand. There's a crime that in your time hasn't yet happened. Your dad's going to die. Your mom's going to die. And so are you. But as long as you're alive, you can change things. Uh, Don't Let Go, written and directed by Jacob Estes. It's rated R. Christy, what'd you think of it? So it's kind of a bunch of stuff going on here at once. It is a time travel, sci-fi, police murder mystery thriller. And that is a lot. And uh, that is a lot to put on the shoulders of even an actor as esteemed and as extremely versatile and capable as David Oyelowo. Um, I'm not sure the time travel element really works here. I'm not sure you actually even need it. But that is the gimmicky kind of through line that is happening. Um, David Oyelowo plays this L.A. police detective who discovers that um, his brother, the brother's wife, and their teenage daughter have all been killed. It might be a murder-suicide. There might be something else going on here. And then he starts getting mysterious cell phone calls from the teenage daughter. And there is a kind of weird conflict between the gritty realism of modern day Los Angeles 
and the supernatural, metaphysical, time travel, how are they connecting with each other part of it, which leads to a few kind of cool gimmicks. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, the, I was so taken out by the whole time travel element trying to figure out how does this work, does this work, and then ultimately it does not work. Well, the thing about the time travel element, only Andy Klein can figure that out. <laughs> so you know, The greatest time travel yeah. critic of all time. <laughs> yeah. Only Andy can do that. So, I, so, so I'm watching this time travel thing. I'm thinking to myself, do I really care about that? No, I don't. <laughs> what, what I do care about in this movie is that little girl and her uncle. That's a love story. Storm Reed. Storm Reed. Uh, and he is going to do everything he can to save his niece uh, from this thing happening to her. And that straight ahead, thrilling, I'm going to save my family part of this movie. It's the part that I love. David Oyelowo is just playing a straight up, just as dramatic as you can possibly play it. Uh, and, and in the way that movies of this ilk work, there have been a bunch of these movies, by the way. Frequency was one of them, I don't know, 20 years ago. Yeah, which I like. Well, I, I know like that not movie. all critics <laughs> do, you know, but just, I, I, I like that movie. I'm sorry when these, Nick Cage has made like eight of them. <laughs> uh, not all of his work, but Although when these movies work, they work. Back in time and keep him from making <laughs> some, of those movies. some of them are kind of fun, actually. But pretty sure this movie originally w- written set on a farm uh, with with you know a, a white family, and the guy was not a cop and all that kind of stuff. David Oyelowo gets it, and he decides he wants to do it, and it was his idea to take it and set it in contemporary Los Angeles, to make the guy a cop. Uh, uh, Michael T. Williamson is in this movie. Tyree Henry is in this movie, and of course, Young Storm. Now, this is the thing that that David decided to take that movie meant. It meant that all of those uh, African-American actors and actresses got jobs because now this is an entirely different movie than it would have been, say, 20 years ago when they made Frequency. And to my to my measure, they've done they've done a pretty good job here. And what's cool is that you have David Yellowo and Storm Reid, who are both stars of two Ava DuVernay films, Mm -hmm. Selma and A Wrinkle in Time, now working together. And uh, and you see parts of L.A. you don't ordinarily see even in a cop film. You see kind of grittier and more neighborhoody parts of L.A. that we don't always see on film, including like the Pump Jack area, yeah. and Kenneth Hahn, you know. Park, yeah. We, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, so, it, so it, is, it is inventive in that way, but I was just distracted the whole time. Uh, the time travel. <laughs> Michael T. Williamson, didn't he start as a teen actor? Oh, yeah. yeah was it White Shadow? Was oh, yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, he goes, he goes yeah, back his, He's years. very, very That's long. Academy, that's an Academy Award-nominated actor there, Forrest Gump. Yeah. yeah. All right. Don't mm-hmm. Let Go, David Oyelowo and Storm Reed, written and directed by Jacob Estes. It's rated R in white release. The comedy Give Me Liberty stars Chris Gallust and Lauren Lolo Spencer. Uh, the film is directed by uh, Kirill Minkonovsky. Tim, what'd you think? Well, this little film just came out of nowhere and gobsmacked me. I almost didn't even watch it, you know, because it's on the <laughs> list. And it's way down there at the bottom of the list, and you have these more important films. I'm like, let me watch this movie. And I'm watching this movie, and it just wrapped me. Most of it takes place in one of these medical transport vehicles. You have this young man, Russian young man, his, his Russian family, all of these old people, some of them with uh, disabilities of one sort or another. It's very Sika in the way that it's constructed because all of these people are who they are uh, and, and they have the disabilities that they have. Uh, and he's gathering them all together to take them to all the places they got to go. And it's just a mess and a nightmare. But it's the most fun and thrilling mm-hmm. Just adventure film. There's a funeral that they have to go to, and it, it just goes all goofy. And he picks up this young black woman who's actually a social worker, and then he has to pick up the person for whom she's a social. She's in a wheelchair, and she is just hysterical in this movie. The way she's backseat driving. It's just this fun, fun film that was very heartfelt, and 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 kind of moving. And most of it takes place in that van. 
This film is tremendous. It is far and away the best movie of the week and one of the best movies of the year. And what it pulls off is just a a little miracle because so often you make a film with non-actors and that can be so hit and miss. It can seem kind of stiff and stagey and artificial. This rings with such authenticity from the very, very beginning. You are in this van with these people and it's a thrill ride. It's like this controlled chaos and it feels totally improvised and there's no way that it was because there's too much going on. This is a plot heavy movie. A lot happens here. Um, but you feel as if you are truly immersed with this array of people. It goes from thrilling, funny farce to just heartbreaking and intimate. There's a whole sequence toward the end that's kind of violent that I was like holding my breath. It's so intense. Um, I do not know how this filmmaker pulled this off. It's only a second film. Yeah. And he had been a medical transport driver himself. Oh, and, really? And, and, oh, great. And he's that. a Russian immigrant. So yeah. he takes these two sides of, of his and persona and melds them. In the yeah. Russian community there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, in, in, the the winter, winter. in the winter in Milwaukee. <laughs> and this guy, well, it felt he like has, home. He's so, he's so genuine, this driver, because he is just so genuinely trying to make all of this work. He's trying to. He's just trying to get everybody where they need to be. Mm-hmm. He's got the guy on the radio. Is calling him, telling him, "I'm going to fire you. Where are you at?" You know, and it's just so much. Y'all, man, it was just such a good movie. But never mockish. No. Everyone is a total human being. There's no condescension to the actors with disabilities. It's people you don't see on film very often treated with a rich, full respect. It was very exciting. Yeah. And I, I really want to stop here and acknowledge this because more than anything else. This is the reason Film Week exists, is is to spotlight films like this that you otherwise wouldn't know anything about, that would go under the radar. You'd see it on the marquee at your local Lemley, and you wouldn't, what's that about? Uh, and so I really wanted to give this its due. Give Me Liberty is at Lemley's Monica Film Center, Santa Monica, Lemley's Playhouse Pasadena, and Lemley's Town Center. This is a year where we hear there have not been very many films playing at so-called art houses that have really connected with audiences. Both of our critics saying this is a movie you really need to see, and it's funny. Give Me Liberty is unrated. It's directed by Kirill Mikhanovsky, and it's written by Alice Austin and Mikhanovsky. Again, the movie unrated. Official Secrets stars Kira Knightley. The drama's based on the true story of British whistleblower Catherine Gunn. She leaked information to the media about an NSA spy operation designed to push the U.N. Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. So, you work for the British government? No. No? This proposed war is historically unpopular. I work for the British people. I do not gather intelligence so that the government can lie to the British people. Kira Knightley, Matthew uh, Good, Rafe Fines, Matt Smith, Gavin Hood, the director, Christie. Very solid, totally respectable, well cast, well acted, slow burn political thriller pot boiler. And it's just so well made across the board. Not extraordinary in any way, but just really solid and increasingly suspenseful and watchable. So Kira Knightley plays this real-life woman, Catherine Gunn, who was a um, British security expert, and she did um, intelligence and translating. She spoke several languages, and she comes across this memo in which it's 
clear that um, the U.S. is trying to get Britain to help them coerce various U.N. member nations to vote for the resolution to go to war in Iraq. And it's like Cameroon and it's Chile. And the the memo suggests that, like, they're going to blackmail these countries to get their support. And she realizes how, you know, disgusting that is and how illegal and how wrong. And she leaks it to a friend who leaks it to a friend who gets it to the observer. And it is about what happens to her. And Keira Knightley is so good in this, just as as the pressure mounts on her. She's so subtle in um, in depicting this woman's increasing anxiety and fear as as everything is tightening in on her. It's a great supporting cast. Um, Matthew Good is an editor at The Observer. Um, Ray Fiennes is the lawyer who comes to her defense. Um, it's it's very good. It's solid. It, it, it's as solid as a, as, as a rock, this movie, the Official <laughs> Secrets Act of 1989, is the law in, under which this very young woman, she's a very young woman, Catherine Gunn, when this memo comes across her desk. And that memo said, uh, uh, we are going to do this. We are going to blackmail them. That's what it's going to say. She does all of this leaking. Uh, this, this film begins with her in the dock at her trial. Yet the, they managed to construct it as a thriller for a good portion of this film. After we've seen her in the dock, we're, we're wondering, is she going to leak the memo? Are they going to find out who leaked the memo? All of these things we know the answers to. Yeah, but nevertheless, they construct it as a thriller and still execute that. Kudos to them for that. This story has more to do with say, what uh, the Pentagon Papers and what Daniel Ellsberg did than, say, the Chelsea Manning case or even the Eric Snowden case. It's a very tricky catch-22. Uh, 21, yeah. what is it? With this law, this the way it's set up, um, uh, if if you are suspected of having leaked the document, you cannot defend yourself uh, to that suspicion. You can't even hire a lawyer and tell the lawyer what it is you're suspected of. That's the way they set up this sort of circular logic. She was in a trap. The way it plays out is very interesting. Anybody can look it up. But the way it plays out is very interesting. The film is Official Secrets. It's rated R, directed by Gavin Hood, uh, one of the three credited screenwriters as well, based on uh, the book by Marsha and Thomas Mitchell, The Spy Who Tried to Stop a War. Official Secrets is at the Arclight Hollywood and the Landmark in West L.A. Also uh, out this week, uh, Bennett's War. Uh, We just bring it to your attention. Uh, Not available for critics to see. The film written and directed by Alex uh, Rana Ravello. Uh, the film stars Michael Rourke and Allison Page. Also this week, the documentary Untouchable about Harvey Weinstein. Ursula McFarlane is the director. Christy? So this is a film that gets its arms around a lot in terms of um, contextualizing Harvey Weinstein why he has mattered, how he was able to wield such power for so long and keep so many people quiet for so long, and then ultimately what happened that broke down that power and allowed and gave a lot of women the the strength and the bravery to come forward with their accusations against him. It doesn't necessarily say anything new, but you have a lot of interviews with people who are famous, like Rosanna Arquette and Paz de la Huerta, but also just women who were aspiring actresses who thought that a meeting with Harvey Weinstein. I mean, of course. Why wouldn't you take it? Why wouldn't you go to his hotel room? And maybe it's risky, but you gotta take a risk to to make your way in this business. And and even though it's for some of these women been many decades since he you know, allegedly assaulted them, um, the emotions are all right there. They're all on the surface. And so to hear these women in their own voice, you know, talking to an interviewer and recounting their experiences with this man. 
that is very moving and that is very powerful. But as far as actual news, there's nothing really new here, but just seeing it all collected in mass is, is quite compelling. Mm, yeah. The film is untouchable. New documentary. What do you think, Tim? Well, the, the young Harvey Weinstein we do meet in this film uh, when he was a music promoter. Uh, I, I suppose one of the things we come to know about him in this film is that he was always a brute. And he was a brute pretty much to everyone. The men, too. A fellow talked about him throwing an ashtray at his head. He had one of the worst reputation of anybody yeah. in Hollywood, and that's saying something. Yeah, our Wade Major did, a, did an extensive interview with him some many years ago. I remember him coming back and reporting to me, Harvey's insane. <laughs> um, uh, um, and I, I don't suppose I've ever been more uncomfortable watching uh, women uh, report what happened to them as I've been in this movie. Listening to these women specifically say what Harvey did to them made me deeply uncomfortable. Untouchable, the documentary. It's streaming on Hulu starting Monday. Ursula McFarlane, the director of Untouchable. You're listening to Film Week on 89.3 KPECC. Coming up, another documentary I've been eagerly anticipating from Stanley Nelson, Miles Davis, The Birth of the Cool. We'll find out about it in a minute. You're with us on Film Week on 89.3 KPECC. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by critics Charles Solomon, Tim Cogshell, and Christy Lemire. Next up, Stanley Nelson's documentary, Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool. Great musicians are interviewed, including Herbie Hancock, Carlos Santana, as they remember Miles Davis, the man, as well as his music. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, all of that happens in this film. Stanley, a very interesting fellow, produces several uh, American Experience docs, uh, Freedom Summer and the uh, Jesse Owens doc and uh, the Jonestown doc. I like his that. work his a lot. His work is very, 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 very good. And and this, um, you, know, you know, aggregated is is very insightful about uh, Miles Davis, who happens to be from East St. Louis, Illinois. But the presentation of all of this information more or less works like this. Here's Miles Davis, this genius a seminal genius in music. And Miles Davis was also this aggrieved black man, a dark-skinned black man who had good reason to be aggrieved. And Miles Davis uh, beat up women. That's the order in which these things are presented. That's, that's the, the incorrect order. Uh, Miles Davis beat up all his women. Uh, he, all, every single one of those women, uh, Cicely Tyson, his second wife, who, who was in this, who's in this film here, that anger that he had somehow translated into a thing that came out in aggression toward these women. And I, I just feel like we need to understand that first. And then we can talk about Miles Davis, the super duper genius and all, and all that kind of stuff, whose career lasted until the end of his life. He was innovating all the way through the end of his life. And Miles, there's not just one Miles Davis. No, there are a number of Miles Davis. He was a metamorphosis. And he, he kept himself juxtaposed to very young people, very young musicians. Uh, and he always let them take the lead. He, he would fall in behind whatever they were doing. And so when they started doing fusion, Miles was like, oh, and Miles did not look back at all. He just did not bother to look back. He also just wasn't very aware of what kind of a human being he was in the world. Uh, a quote from Miles Davis. My wife read this to me once. Miles was asked, Miles, uh, how do you want to die? Miles, with my hands around a white man's neck. Miles Davis said that. To say that, it tells you something about what he suffered as a, as a young black man from a fairly well-to-do family, by the way. Uh, yeah, his from, father from, from was a dentist. Yeah, yeah, but you know, uh, being a dark brown black man it's hard. Well, it's no, fascinating to hear even his friends talk about him or musicians who performed with him mm-hmm. and the complexities mm-hmm. of Miles and the difficulties of him. Charles? Now, I, f- I found this one very interesting. 
uh, but also at times frustrating because someone will come in. Uh, there's the the French actress that he was apparently madly in love with for a while, and then she just disappears. And the I guess it was his first wife who, with whom he had two or three kids. Uh, they mention her, then she disappears out of his life, and. I wish that they had had just kept their lines a little better traced. They've assembled an incredible array of musicians, you know, and people who actually knew him and worked with him. And they talk about uh, his drug abuse and his violence towards women and even the women themselves. Was it his second wife who was the dancer? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Frances Taylor. Yeah. She's a hoot. Yeah, who had been (laughs) in the original cast of West Side Story, and he made her quit because he didn't want any competition uh, for her attention, or I suspect for her getting attention as an artist too. Um, she sticks around more than most of these other figures. But I wish, again, it's interesting, I just wish there had, it had been a little more um, coherent in some ways. And they don't always tell us when he's doing things that, oh, well, he was doing this with, you know, he and so-and-so were doing this, and this was new, and this this kind of riff was different. Okay, when was that? You know, and then does that transfer? How does that transfer to other um, musicians at this time? So I learned a lot from it, but I felt I could have learned more. I learned a lot too. I did not know a lot about Miles Davis going into this, admittedly, but it does try to get its arms around a, a giant life and a, and a complicated, lengthy life. And it is a little superficial in that regard because it is trying to hit every stage of this person's career over many, many decades. But I do appreciate that they give a lot of time to Frances Taylor, who is just a hoot and a half. She's hilarious. And she matches him in terms of ego, in terms of sense of self. And I guess you would have to. And every single woman, you point out that he, he abused all his women, Tim. Cicely Tyson, right. who's not in the right. movie. I mean, she's yeah. in the movie, they talk but not about in the movie. You see yeah. footage of her. But they all... Walked away from him yeah. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone everyone left him despite his greatness. Not, interesting, she's not interviewing him. The wonderful Carl Lumley providing this raspy voice over of, yeah. of, of Miles, and he's just killing it. It's wonderful. About a week ago, I heard a musician who was playing a gig with Miles describing experience. They, they just start performing, and Miles isn't feeling all that well that night, and he just walks off the stage, just <laughs> leaves the gig, walks up and out of the auditorium, and just leaves. And never comes back. And so the next day, the the review in the local newspaper, the brilliant Miles Davis makes this great statement and walks up. And so, so the guy, the musician, is telling telling the story, uh, says shows it to Miles. Miles just nods, said, "That's right." (laughs) As opposed to he just didn't want to play. The movie is uh, Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool. It's unrated at the Landmark in West Los Angeles. The comedy Before You Know It, directed by. Hannah Pearl Utt, who co-wrote the screenplay with Jen Tullock, stars uh, Utt as well as Tullock and Mandy Patinkin. Christy? So Before You Know It is an incredibly bland and forgettable title, especially for a, a movie at the end of August. But there's a lot going on here that is very worthwhile. So don't let this slip through the cracks because it's, you know, is this like a movie with Matthew McConaughey and... and Sarah Jessica Parker. No, this is this is this is a new thing. Um, so Hannah Pearl, at this is her first film she's ever directed, and she and Jen Tullock are longtime creative partners, and they co-wrote the script, and they co-star as sisters who are in this 
really codependent relationship with each other and with their father, played by Mandy Patinkin, who is larger than life force in their life. They all still live in their childhood home in this brownstone above this Greenwich Village theater where they all also work. And so Mandy Patinkin is the the patriarch and the playwright, and Hannah Pearl is the stage manager and the voice of reason, very buttoned down and very modest. And Jen Tullock is sort of the wild, brash, flirtatious sister actress who wears denim miniskirts that are way too short for her. And this is not a spoiler, but the father dies early on. And the sisters discover that the mother they always thought was a lot, was dead is actually alive. And she's a soap opera star yeah. played by Judith Light, oh, which is a funny. really cool that's bit funny, of casting, yeah. right? Given yeah. that that's how she got her start was on One Life to Live in the 70s and 80s. Um, and she gives this very showy kind of aging soap diva performance. But it's, what's amazing here is how Hannah Pearl uh, makes these tonal shifts that would seem really, really tricky and difficult. And she makes them pretty seamlessly because the movie begins, it's kind of quirky, and then it's sad, and then it's a mystery, and then it's wacky again, and then it's just totally surreal. And you are along with them. It's a very lived-in New York. The production design on their brownstone is so vivid. Like, every room is so ornate and sort of falling apart and you feel like you live there with them and she'll follow them through the hallways to indicate who they are and how they live. It's a really nice little gem of a film. Yeah, she has a deaf hand as a director uh, Hannah has here, as, as as well as as an actress, you know, as the taciturn sister with her flamboyant sister and, and her father who's just this guy. You know, he's one of this, 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 kind of a famous playwright but also very noted as this actor. And there's a chance that one of his plays might be produced at a real theater. You know, not the one that's in the basement. You know, but they, they would like him to, to take a look at it and rewrite this one scene, one thing in one scene, and he just won't do it. And Hannah Pearl just, ah, what is wrong with you? We know this man, yeah. too. Oh, don't we? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and, and then he has the audacity to just up and die, which, as you said, is not, and, and, and it just throws everything into a tizzy. Uh, and, and the flamboyant sister is also a lousy mother. She has this daughter. Who's 12. Who's yeah. 12, <laughs> and who is the most reasonable and rational person in the entire movie. The 12-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, the comedy at the Landmark, it's unrated. The Landmark in West L.A. Neja, a Chinese animated fantasy film. Yu Yang, the director and co-screenwriter, Charles. Well, this broke box office records in China, and I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, it's a fantasy based on a Ming Dynasty novel about the founding of the dynasty that will unify China under the wicked emperor, uh, same setting that we talked about two weeks ago with Kingdom. Uh, but it's there are supernatural prophecies. There are enchanted um, seeds and eggs from the immortals. There are dragons. There are curses. And it's very hard to make any sense of. Uh, they've clearly been looking at DreamWorks and to a lesser degree Disney and Illumination films and they're borrowing lots of bits. There are pee jokes. There are snot jokes. Lots of flatulence jokes. But they really aren't telling the story. And I think the biggest problem is that none of the characters are at all sympathetic. The title character is this horrible brat who delights in tormenting people with his supernatural powers. Uh, his parents lie to him and tell him he's really the embodiment of the pearl of virtue uh, when he's not, quite obviously. Um, nobody's honest, nobody's sympathetic, and it's almost two hours long. And 
a lot of it you just feel like you're you're wandering some trackless wilderness. Neja is the Chinese animation film. It's at the Regal Edwards Alhambra, the AMC Santa Anita in Arcadia, and the TCL Chinese Theaters Hollywood. It's unrated. The documentary, Friedkin Uncut, looks at the life and films of William Friedkin, who did The Exorcist, among other movies. Christy? So William Friedkin's just such a hoot. I know I keep saying the word hoot, but he really is. Oh, and, yeah. and there's so He's much of him. Oh my god, just the rack and tour. He's just so brash and so profane and yet you want him to just keep going. There's such personality <laughs> there. So it is just a look back at a lot of his films, The Exorcist, The French Connection, and then most recent stuff like Killer Joe, mm-hmm. interviews with other directors like Coppola, like Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright talking about what an influence Friedkin was, but also who work with him, Matthew McConaughey, we have to remember that William Friedkin created the McConaissance when he cast <laughs> Matthew McConaughey as a bad guy in Killer Joe. Mm-hmm. So it's just clips of his films and him telling stories, and it's very enjoyable. Yeah. What's what's the movie that with with the truck on the bridge ready to... That's the, Sorcerer. Sorcerer, yeah. Oh, yeah. With, the, with, the, uh, with yeah. the dynamite in it. Yeah, movie. which yeah. has kind of a cult following. Oh, yeah, yeah. One, of the, one of the best freaking films. Here's the thing. I, I know him a little bit. I've interviewed him many times. The funny thing about it, and it's true of this movie, every sentence has at least three curse words. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, mean, I remember interviewing him for, for a thing. I'm trying to cut this interview. I'm like, Jesus Christ, William. <laughs> Come on, man. Pull it in a little bit. But he curses all the way through this movie. It's indicative of his filmmaking style, which was I, I don't care. I'm doing it my way style. He cast William Peterson mm-hmm. into Live and Die in L.A. William Peterson was a nobody, yeah. theater actor. Uh, and, and he didn't care. He just cast it. That he's the right guy for the movie. And that's the way he made movies. Broke laws like you don't want to when you, with the, that chase scene. Just breaking all kinds of French laws. Yeah, the French Connection. Uh-huh. Just breaking all kinds of traffic laws. But he, but man, what, have you ever seen a chase scene like that? So that's who he is, has always been, and is now. And as Christy says, a great rock and tour, no question. Friedkin uncut. The film's unrated. Lemley's music hall, Beverly Hills. Uh, the fanatic about a rabid film fan who stalks his favorite action hero, John Travolta, Devon Sawa, Anna Golja, star Christy. This is the worst movie of the year. Quite possibly, (laughs) but it absolutely must be experienced. You have to see this for yourself. John Travolta plays a man who is somewhere on the autism spectrum who is also celebrity obsessed and he stalks this action star played by Devin Sawa and becomes increasingly insistent. It is Rain Man meets Misery. It is terrible. Fred Durst directed this. Former Limp Biscuit yeah. frontman Fred Durst directed this. Following the de- in Rob Zombie's footsteps. Yes, the the depiction of somebody on the spectrum is reprehensible in the way that he is bullied, he is vilified, he is made fun of, and it's not to set an example of how horribly some folks were treated. Travolta is mannered and screechy and shrill. I don't know what he was thinking. He was in character on set the whole time. You gotta see <laughs> this it. This a must see. The, fan- the fanatic, <laughs> starring John Travolta. It's rated R at the Arena Cine Lounge, Hollywood. Coming up, John Horn joins us from the Telluride Film Festival. Yeah, it's where the most acclaimed films of the year play. We'll get the preview coming up. It's Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. Wonderful to have you with us this weekend. Well, it's small but mighty. The Telluride Film Festival brings together film lovers and people in the business from around the world. And they're known at the festival 
for choosing many of the films that end up as Best Picture nominees, including The Ultimate Winner. Though that didn't happen last year, up until then they had an extraordinary streak, and the frame's John Horn is with us from Telluride to talk about the films he's had a chance to see. John, thanks for joining us. Happy to be with you. Uh, what is about the festival first that that uh, enables them to get access to so many of the films that end up as nominees? I think, obviously, they have pretty good taste. Um, and a lot of those films, you would be hard to categorize in any one genre. I mean, Best Picture winners like Argo, The King's Speech, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, Shape of Water have all premiered at Telluride. And they're incredibly different films, but I guess you could all say they're very much driven by a single filmmaker's vision. Um, and also, I think they are, they can be really picky about what it is that they are taking. I mean... A couple of years ago, they showed a movie called Moonlight that was not on anybody's radar. And Barry Jenkins, who is kind of a longtime Telluride friend, came here with that movie. It obviously went on to win Best Picture, unless you believe La La Land really did. Um, and because the festival is so small, they only show about you know a couple dozen new movies. They can really be selective. And even though they're not casting a really wide net like festivals in Toronto that follow Telluride, they seem to have a really good sense of picking movies that are going to resonate not only with audiences, but also with awards voters. Well, let's talk about some of the ones from this 46th annual Telluride Film Festival in the Colorado Rockies. Judy, which is based on a, a, a musical uh, production that I actually saw, End of the Rainbow, uh, stars Renee Zellweger as a late career, late life Judy Garland. Rupert Gold is the director of the film adaptation. Uh, John, what do you think of Judy? I guess I have to be careful because in about two minutes, Renee Zellweger is going to come in and talk with us about <laughs> making this film. Um, it is a really interesting movie. I mean, I think what's interesting about Judy Garland is a lot of people have this image in their mind of who she was and the life she led. And this is a movie, as you say, based on you know the late stages of her life. She's doing a series of concerts in London. She's struggling with sobriety. She's struggling with child custody issues. She's basically insolvent. And yet you see see, you know, the glimpses of her true talent, though, even though she's kind of stumbling around through a lot of the film, Judy Garland still has an amazing voice. Uh, Renee Zellweger completely inhabits the role and she does all of the singing uh, in the film. And I think it's certainly a movie that is going to get Renee Zellweger, who took a long hiatus from Hollywood. It was about five or six years where she didn't really make anything. She's now coming back and has a pretty full plate. And I think this is a movie that is going to be incredibly well received. I'm doing a uh, conversation with Renee at the festival this evening where she's getting a career tribute, which seems early for somebody her age, but uh, so be it. All right. So two chances to talk with her and you'll have multiple chances to hear John's interview Friday afternoon on The Frame, or you can hear it uh, via the link on our Film Week page, kpecc.org. Noah Baumbach has a new film out about divorce, Marriage Story, with Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver, and Laura Dern. Um, this could be a tough sell at the box office, but it sounds promising on the screen. 
It is a very good movie. And it's called Marriage Story. It probably should be called Divorce Story. Uh, I think it's semi-autobiographical about Noah Baumbach's marriage. He has always kind of incorporated things from his own life into his films. It played just before Telluride at the Venice Film Festival, where it got crazy good reviews. Uh, I I ran into Ted Sarandos at Netflix last night. This is a Netflix movie, and he was ecstatic over the critical reception this film had received. Yes, it is kind of a tricky sell. It's not like every moviegoer in America wants to go out and see a film about a marriage falling apart and about the divorce proceedings, but it's incredibly well made. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson play the couple at the center of it. Laura Dern and Alan Alda play their respective uh, divorce lawyers. Uh, It is a critics movie that I think is going to get a lot of awards attention, and it's really quite good. Marriage Story. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari. I'm really looking forward to this, in which uh, Matt Damon plays Carol Shelby. Yeah, this is about a famous, I guess you could call it, duel between Henry Ford II and Enzo Ferrari. And it all plays out at the Battle of Le Mans, the 24-hour race in 1966. Matt Damon plays Carol Shelby. Christian Bale plays his star driver, a guy named Ken Miles. And it's about the lead-up of this race and how much is at stake between Ford and Ferrari. It's a story about two guys, uh, Shelby and Miles, and about how determined they are to win this race and also about all the interference that Ford is giving them, how they want to manage you know, the race, how they want to make sure that the Ford public image is not jeopardized uh, through what these guys are doing off the track. It's directed by James Mangold, who made a fantastic movie called Logan not that long ago. Um, if anybody likes car racing, they're going to like this movie. And it's also kind of a great story about entrepreneurship, about what it takes to kind of work within a massive corporation like Ford and do something that is you know, not expected and bend the rules to get the results you need. And that's coming up uh, November release expected uh, in theaters. Parasite, uh, the South Korean comedy drama, uh, this played um, uh, earlier, right? Was it at Venice this screened? It was at Cannes, Cannes and okay. it, it won a big award there. This is the same director who made a film called Okja about a giant pig. He also made a movie called Snowpiercer. This is a crazy movie about a family that essentially moves into a rich family's house unbeknownst to the family and starts running their lives. Uh, it is completely original really disturbing. It has kind of a gothic ending. Um, It's a Korean film. It's in Korean language, but it is absolutely going to be probably Korea's foreign language submission for the Oscars. It's a very original film, very disturbing. I took my 15-year-old son back in Los Angeles to see it, and I think he reported only two nightmares so far. (laughs) Okay, Parasite, film from South Korea, The Assistant, starring Julia Garner, Kitty Green, the writer-director. Tell us about that, please, This is is a movie I have not seen, and it's premiering later this weekend. A lot of people are very interested in this film. It sounds as if it is a fictional film based on somebody who works for somebody who sounds a lot like Harvey Weinstein, uh, somebody who is kind of caught up in a Me Too scandal. Uh, It is premiering over the weekend. I haven't seen it. I'm super excited to, to go see it. Um, it's, it's made by Kitty Green, who made a very interesting movie not that long ago called Casting John Bonet. It stars Julia Garner. 
a very topical film, and who knows what assistant she could be. She could be Les Moonves's assistant. She could be Harvey Weinstein's assistant. She could be Matt Lauer's assistant. You take your pick of any men, uh, powerful men who've been implicated for sexual harassment and assault. The assistant uh, waves a romantic film written and directed by Trey Edward Schultz. Now, he's an interesting filmmaker. He made a very scary movie not that long ago called It Comes at Night. And this is a movie with a really good cast, including Sterling K. Brown. Uh, Again, another movie that will premiere late tonight is its first screening on Friday night. Um, Again, I haven't seen it. Not a lot of people have seen it. Trey Edward Schultz is a very interesting filmmaker. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. His last movie was very scary. I think this movie is going to be pretty intense, um, but it's definitely on my must-see list for the weekend. Okay, we've got just over a minute left. Um, I'm really interested in The Gift, The Journey of Johnny Cash, Tom Zimney's uh, documentary, but what are the docs you're most interested in? I would point out to both of which I've seen, there is a documentary about Linda Ronstadt called The Sound of My Voice, which is about her musical career. If you don't know, Linda Ronstadt was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's, um, but it's really a story about her musical career and all the very different things she did. And then there's a movie called The Kingmaker, which is from director Lauren Greenfield, and it's about Imelda Marcos. And you think that Imelda Marcos is kind of done with the Philippines, you would be mistaken. And not only is she very prominent in everything that's going on in the Philippines and with uh, its new leader, Duterte, but her son, who is called Bong Bong, could very well be the country's next vice president. Lauren Greenfield had incredible access to Imelda Marcos in the making of this movie. Uh, it's remarkable. It's a really disturbing film, and Imelda Marcos has not gone away. In fact, she might be more powerful now than she ever has been. The Kingmaker is the film. John, thank you so much. We'll look forward to your extensive coverage of the Telluride Film Festival from the Colorado Rockies that during the frame here on 89.3 KPCC and again to hear John's interview with Renee Zellweger either Friday afternoons, the frame broadcast or the link on our Film Week page, kpcc.org. We'll be back in just one minute. It's Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. We're just talking with the Frames John Horn about potential Oscar nominees that are being shown this weekend at the Telluride Film Festival. But what about what we've seen so far? You know, it's been a tough year at movie theaters, as we talked about last week on Film Week, the box office at Art House Theaters has been way down, very difficult for films aimed at adult audiences to really catch on. But as we continue with our uh, critics, um, let's find out what they think about some of the highlights here. Charles, let me start with you for okay. animation. What what kind of years have been? Uh, it's been a weird year of either super hits like Dragon, How to Train Your Dragon 3, um, Toy Story 4, the CG version of Lion King have you know, just printed money, but then you also had Ugly Dolls and Wonder Park and Missing Link that were complete bombs. Uh, a couple of big question marks still coming up, Frozen 2 from Disney. Uh, Klaus, a uh, film by a Spanish director, Sergio Pablo, looks gorgeous. Uh, does it have a story? We don't know yet. The other film that's gotten a lot of critical attention, uh, winning pr- a lot of prizes in Europe, is... Uh, the independent I Lost My Body about a Moroccan immigrant in France who loses his hand uh, in a work accident. But it's 
essentially told from the severed hand's point of view. It's odd, but it's really intriguing. Not something you're never going to see made in America. Right? No, no. Um, the uh, Makoto Shinkai's new film, uh, Weathering With You, he broke all sorts of records in Japan with uh, Your Name is going to be Japan's official entry in the Oscars. Very interesting film, um, but it's not going to be released here wide until 2020. The one film I, th- I would – I mean, it's very obvious that uh, Toy Story 4 and Dragons and very likely Frozen, if it's at all good, will be Oscar nominees for feature. The question is more what will go on the kind of independent slot. Uh, but in animated shorts, if I were going to place a bet, I would say um, Hair Love, which we talked about two weeks ago, getting a lot of attention, an absolutely charming film – uh, I would say it's it's a good shot for a nomination for short. I don't know all of what it's going to be up against, but it's such a lovely film. Uh, I hope it gets the recognition. Christy, what are your your favorites so far this year? So I keep a running list all year long of like potential top 10 contenders. And I've already got a solid dozen movies that I've really loved. And we haven't even gotten to some of the, the big fall releases that John was talking about in your interview with him. Um, I love The Farewell. I love The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I love Loose. Midsummer is tremendous, and there's an even longer cut out there now. If you want more disturbing imagery in your eyeballs, there's more to be had. But there's been a couple of really great documentaries, too, in Apollo 11. Oh, yeah. And um, I would count Beyonce's Homecoming in that, even though I think it just aired on Netflix. And Honeyland, which we talked about here several weeks ago, the Macedonian beekeeper documentary. So, And I love Give Me Liberty, which we talked about earlier in the show. That's a possibility for me for a top 10. So I think it's been a really good year for smaller, challenging, really diverse fare. But it's just unfortunate that they had a tough time, unless they've been streaming, to get that theatrical audience. It is hard. And, and we can only do so much to get folks out the door and go to the theater. And some movies really you should see in a theater. And it's hard. I understand that. Yeah, yeah Tim. Yeah, well, let me go ahead and give props to, to the two biggies of the year. Captain Marvel and Endgame. Uh, outstanding work. Outstanding work. These two tentpole films, they were every bit as good, and particularly the Endgame sort of bringing to a finale, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Deeply moving. I found it to be an absolutely wonderful love story, that movie, about fathers and daughters and, and all kinds of family, despite all those foolishness with uh, Tesseract Rocks and Infinity Stones or whatever. That that movie rose above all of that and was something else. And then, uh, and, and its box office shows it, and, and as you say, the box office for some other movies don't. So you, a little movie like Booksmart, about these two little girls. And it's just this wonderful, wonderful, touching little movie. The box office should have been better for that movie. More folks should have went and seen it. Um, uh, Always Be My Maybe. I love the construction of this movie. Uh, sort of Asian-constructed movie about this young couple who uh, eventually going to fall in love. It's a standard love story. Now, that movie played on Netflix while it was in theaters, which might have been the problem with its box office at theaters because, you know, it's on Netflix. Yeah. So, so what are you going to do? Um, Us was a fantastic movie, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, as, as you say, in that documentary, Apollo 11, which played in theaters and made money. So these things are kind of complicated right now. Yeah, you know, and the, that was one that did do quite yeah. well, but it had such uh, a great tie in the yeah. anniversary. Well, it it yeah. also is just such a good movie that uh, I, think when we, I think we all talked about it on um, Film Week earlier that although you knew what was going to happen, that was one suspenseful film. You... Even though you had seen the footage of Neil Armstrong, you were there. Are they going to get there? Are they going to get back safe? Uh, it was just such a good film. And far and away better than the narrative version, First Man, 
uh, which one yes. one would think, you know. But it made me appreciate First Man. Yeah. Uh, the top five highest grossing films thus far, 2019, Avengers Endgame, um, Lion King, the CGI version, Toy Story 4, Captain Marvel, and Spider-Man. So you see the kind of films people are going out to see. There's not just sort of a an adult drama in that mix. Because they're safe, right? They're known quantities and, you know, people that's why they, people keep making more of them. There's always more to be made. <laughs> uh, now, none of you mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> a film that I enjoyed, but I can see how it would not necessarily be a film that would have brought that many people out to see it. It's, it's, a, it's an acquired taste for Quentin Tarantino. It broke records at Quentin Tarantino's movie theater on Beverly Boulevard. <laughs> I, could, I could see why. Yeah, absolutely. What are you most looking forward to you you mentioned some Charles you're looking yeah. forward to seeing Tim what what are you looking forward to the rest of the year the top of my list is Dolomite the Dolomite movie starring Eddie Murphy which looks like a poignant movie with a performance that understands that Rudy Ray Moore was a person <laughs> who created a character called Dolomite which sometimes we confuse a man uh, over 40 years old balding willed himself by sheer will willed himself into becoming a filmmaker starred himself in those movies doing all kinds of outrageous things I just think of the scene in, in Dolomite where he spends like five minutes taking his clothes off. And just, you know, the guts to, the to actually artist, do that. Yeah. And, and, and basically created a genre within a genre, the black exploitation karate comedy thriller drama. It's what Rudy Ray Moore invented. And on his dying day, owned the negatives to every one of those mm-hmm. movies. That's an extraordinary. So looking forward to seeing that quite a lot. Joker. Uh, uh, Sans Batman. Uh, the story of how the Joker became the Joker. Uh, you know, Thomas Wayne is involved in this film. So it's years before I love Batman. origin stories. Yeah, you know, and, and, and there are other origin stories for Joker. If you watch Gotham, there's one and, 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 and the Tim Burton movie. But this looks like a dead series movie. And Terminator uh, Dark Fate. Why? Because Arnold is in it. Because Linda Hamilton is in it with a shotgun. Uh, and, 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 and because Ed Furlone is in it. That's, the, that's that central team. And I love, uh, I love McKenzie as well. So looking forward to see if they can bring that back around. Christy? What are you looking forward to? The Lighthouse. When I saw the trailer for The Lighthouse, my heart jumped out of my chest. It looks so incredibly beautiful. And the idea of Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe at a lighthouse in like grainy black and white is so exciting to me. Also, Parasite, which John Horn mentioned a little bit ago, and Knives Out, I'm psyched about. And I'll admit, I'm excited about the new Star Wars. Mm. How are they going to end it? All right. Yeah, should be <laughs> exciting. Nope. <laughs> I can't imagine. All right. We have a lot of films to look forward to, and you're going to hear about them week by week, of course, right here on Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. My thanks to our critics this week, Christy Lemire, Tim Cogshell, and Charles Solomon. We're here every Friday at 11 and Saturday at noon for the full hour of Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. We wish you a terrific Labor Day weekend.